for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 481 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I have a special guest, and that's Madeline Holly Rosing from the Boston Metaphysical Society. She's got a great Kickstarter going on for the Book of Demons, which is the latest in the series. We delve into this great franchise, including who the characters are, how the book came to be, as well as what Madeline has in mind for the future. The Kickstarter is described this way. When a great house discovers Caitlin's ability to control demons, she is kidnapped and forced to find and enslave one. Lots of great steampunk and spiritual goings-on happening, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy what Madeline has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast Madeline Holly Rosing from a wonderful series called Boston Metaphysical Society. And there's a Kickstarter going on right now for the Book of Demons, which is the latest chapter to it. So how are you doing, Madeline? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always good to talk with uh, folks like you who are doing these wonderfully creative and innovative, I think is a great way to describe your series. <laughs> Books, Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Now, Kickstarter, of course, some people get on me because I never get to the Kickstarter stuff until I remember it about halfway through. So let's talk about the Kickstarter first, and then we'll get to the book, although I prefer to talk about the book first, but yeah. Well, we can kind of, we can blend that all together. That's that's okay. not a problem for me. That uh, works. For, for uh, those in your audience who have never heard of Boston Metaphysical Society, it's about an ex-Pinkerton detective, a spirit photographer, and a genius scientist who battles supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. We started with a six-issue miniseries and uh, then produced three sequels. The fourth sequel, called The Book of Demons, is currently on Kickstarter. Uh, we, are, we are fully funded um, and have gone through a, a number of really amazing stretch goals so far, but we do run until April 29th, so there is time to get on board. But don't wait. Yes, don't always, wait. Don't, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't have the daily heart attack right now. You don't have to look and go, oh, nobody has, has uh, backed <laughs> us in the last hour or two, <laughs> you know, which a lot of people I know do. And they refresh, refresh, refresh. And <sighs> Oh, I do. I do that, too. I'm just like everybody <laughs> else. I mean, I, I do that, too. But, yeah, it's, it's a little bit calmer, um, I think, for me. This is my ninth Kickstarter. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm a, a veteran of Kickstarter, and uh, as a, a friend of mine, uh, Charlie Stickney, who does White Ash, pointed out uh, on Twitter, I am one of the longest-running series on Kickstarter. And I hadn't even thought of that until he said it. And I went, oh, my God, he's absolutely right. Uh, we, we've been doing this for a while, and uh, I have, you know, 
we wouldn't exist without the Kickstarter platform and especially the backers. Uh, the backers are everything. And because of them, we have been able to continue year after year after year. So um, they are all very special to me. <laughs> I, I have to say, I always wonder what stories we missed because Kickstarter wasn't here before it actually got underway. You know, there were probably some wonderful stories that people never got to tell because, you know, DC or Marvel or Image even at that point wouldn't pick them up. And Kickstarter makes it possible. Thank heavens for that. There have been a lot of wonderful stories I have read through Kickstarter and I go, thank heavens for Kickstarter. Yeah. And then there's a lot of uh, incredible uh, indie comics out there that are at the level of uh, boom, you know, and image and, and dark horse. Uh, but they have chosen not to go that route. And, and because of Kickstarter, we are able to still enjoy those stories. So it's, you know, the, the bar has been set pretty high. Uh, there's, I think I read an article a couple of years ago, that even then, I think it's even more so now, that Kickstarter could arguably be the third largest publisher of comics. I heard it was the second, actually. It could be the second now. Yeah, it could be the second now. Yeah. Which is, you know, whoever's been in charge of Kickstarter, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Because, you know, I, I, I had a friend of mine that was saying that what we ought to do, television shows should be like this. That if we want a show, they should go out and say, hey, I'm going to do this show. Who wants to support it? And people would donate to it. We couldn't possibly raise the money to get a TV show, I don't think. Uh, not on a network anyway. But uh, it's a great idea for a comic, I have to say. It works well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, you, you're telling me a little bit. How quickly was it that you guys reached your goal once you started? Uh, six hours. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that's the best we've ever done. Wow. See, that's, there's a lot of people who'd like six hours, to be honest. So I'm, that, sure. That's really I'm sure. I'm it, sure. It definitely takes away uh, a lot of the stress. Now, are you past all your stretch goals, or what's the deal with the stretch we, goals? We are on our fifth stretch goal, and I do have a, a, a few more in the wings. Oh, boy. So you planned ahead for this. That's very good. That's because some people go, stretch goals, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, you should have thought of that. You know, I know it's it's scary. <laughs> I know it's tough. Yeah, I, I actually wrote a book called Kickstarter for the Independent Creator. It is a field guide for uh, not only comic creators, but anyone who wants who's a creative who wants to run a crowdfunding campaign. And one of the things I talk about in there is you should have a minimum of three stretch goals planned before you even launch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just in case, you know, you, you do well enough. But the important part about stretch goals is that you budget for them because often people will just go, oh, um, let's do this. And then the stretch goal doesn't bring in enough money to cover the production of whatever that stretch goal is, and they end up losing money. So it is important to budget your stretch goals, just as important as, you know, your regular funding goal. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, some people want to know the exact time that a Kickstarter is going to conclude. And according to the website, it's Thursday, April 29th at 2.02 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So don't wait until then. This is the time. Now is the time when you get done listening to this interview. That's the time to go and get on there and support because you got to make sure this book happens and keeps going. Yes. You know, thank you. Big, 
big, big success, and we got to keep that success going if we want to have good things going. Now, I should mention, too, that I've already pledged on here. Thank you I very pledged, much. I pledge for the Comics Digital Bundle, as I always say to people. I, I don't have the physical space anymore to get all the books that I would love to have. So I, I, I have some computer room still, so I'm going to get the digital bundle and all kinds of wonderful stuff in there just uh, 156 pages in one 44 in another i'm gonna be reading all day boston medical metaphysical society so I'm looking uh, plus to. we've already gone the two of the stretch goals were additional digital comics so you'll be getting 12 additional comics uh on top of that so right. far so, and if we so. and we'll probably make our next stretch goal which means you'll get a total of 18 oh boy that's going to be a nice day of reading i'm looking forward to that absolutely it's going to be good now, let's talk about the book. I, I really want to get into it I, because it's a really fascinating story. I, I'm always interested in, in that time period, you know, because it's, it's pre-telephone, it's pre-iPhone, pre-all that stuff. You couldn't call each other right away to let people know what was going on. It was only about the X-Files when I watched the show. They suddenly had these, you know, the cell phones. They could talk to each other and let each other know what was going on, which took a little of the drama out things but you know you've got you don't have any of that uh that's the good news uh, although I, I don't know what steampunk are there steampunk cell phones around well it's not cell phones it's it and there actually are telephones uh it's just that not everybody has them and uh obviously there's no cell phones but we're, we're talking about uh rudimentary uh electronics circa uh, 1895. And, uh, this is when this takes place at, at 1895 and 1896. So yeah, you, you do have the telephone. Um, but, uh, and you do have some fun steampunky kind of weapons. Uh, you know, it is a steampunk is a subgenre of science fiction. So yeah, you do have the fun fiction part of it in there, but I do make it a point to have the science correct when I can and, uh, and which is great, but sometimes I, you know, literary license takes over and, and you can't always, but uh, no, it is, it is fun to, to, to have, to be able to have the science correct within it. Um, you probably don't know this, but one of the main characters our our genius scientist in my little pitch, uh, his name is Granville T. Woods. He was an actual historical figure. Mm -hmm. um, he was an African-American scientist. Uh, he was originally from Ohio. I brought him to Boston because I'm the writer and I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's part of the team. Uh, mm -hmm. And in the original six-issue miniseries, I do have Bell, Edison, Tesla, and Houdini, who are, are, who are an integral part of the storyline. See, I, I've got to ask you about that because there are societies of people who follow real-life characters from that era. And if you don't get that character 100% right according to what they believe, they might let you know that. Have you run into that situation? Um, actually, only once. Uh, a gentleman didn't like the fact that he felt that I made Tesla a bad guy. And it wasn't so much that I had, I had made Tesla a bad guy is that he was a complicated man. And I, I feel that, you know, as a, a writer and particularly in fiction, that this is not a biography. 
of these characters oh. is a fictionalization. And I've done a ton of research and I look at who these, these people were uh, to the best of my ability and let that inform their characters, but not define them. And uh, Tesla is still the obsessive person that he was in real life, but his decision-making, you know, may not be in line with, with the good of everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's good. You want everybody to be a hero. You want every, you want the shades of gray in these kinds yeah. of things. And that's one of the things I love about the book is that there are lots of shades of gray going yes. on. I mean, the even the historical characters, which some people might know, they don't necessarily act the way that the legend might make them seem to be. And I, I like that about that. I, I really enjoy, you know, seeing how these characters interact with each other. And I think Houdini's in here. Yes. Uh, he's one of my favorites. I always found him to be a, <laughs> you know, a, a challenging person <laughs> to write. He's probably one of those ones yeah. that the research was probably a good thing to do on him. <laughs> was there anybody that you found surprising or challenging to do? Um, no, not really. They, they were all interesting to me. Uh, to me, Bell was always kind of the father figure of the, the group and when I talk about Bell, Edison, Tesla, and Houdini, uh, for those who are not familiar with the story, they make up a group of, of people who are trying to figure out a way to stop this interdimensional entity from entering our space, um, our dimension. And they are brought together because they each bring a different dynamic together. And uh, Houdini brings a humanity with him. And uh, the rest, you know, <laughs> they don't work very well together, uh, which is kind of fun. And so, no, I just, yeah, I did research on them. But, you know, like I said, the research uh, informed but didn't define who they were. Mm -hmm. Now, talk about Caitlin a little bit, if you will. She's the kind of the main female in the metaphysical society. Uh, yes. She Based on a real person? Is she a, a construct? How did she come to be? Who is she? Uh, she's completely fictional. I created her because I wanted to do a, a cross genre uh, between the steampunk and the, and the paranormal. And she is the medium and spirit photographer. Uh, but she also socially is lower class and the, the Irish in my world are, are treated pretty badly. And she's only treated marginally better amongst the middle and upper class because she's useful to them. Mm -hmm. And for quite a long time, her mother doesn't realize that she has inherited this gift from her father and that she's actually working for, for Samuel and Granville. And, it's not until uh, the sequels that, you know, that goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> uh, is she based on somebody? I mean, is her character? No, she, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. She's just, she's a, a fictional character that I made up. Okay. Because yeah. uh, a lot of writers like to, I, I always talk about the David Peterson interview. I did one of the first ones and I asked him, I said, he did a book called Mouse Guard. And I always yes. wondered. 
were the mice based on King Arthur's round table? And he said, no, the characters are based on my friends. I said, I know how they're going to act. So it was easy to write them. I went, oh, I didn't yeah. expect that at all. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always yeah. interested in how people do that. I mean, where the characters come from. I, I think that's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, uh, and David's brilliant. So that's, yeah, I love his work. I know my husband just, he has all of his books. <laughs> um, yeah. But but no, each each of them came. I mean, probably you know Granville came with the most history behind him because he actually existed, and even then I created a a family for him, which I don't think he actually had. He did in real life. He did have a brother, uh, but I gave him a, a sister and a niece. Uh, so he'd have more of a family union, a unit for his character to work off of. Uh, Samuel is essentially alone. Uh, his wife, his parents are gone. His wife is gone. And this is, this is his whole life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's, 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 they're gripping characters, but, but you, you've actually touched on something. I wanted to be sure I talk with you about. Okay. Some people, when they go back into time periods, because they're afraid modern readers won't necessarily like the way they behaved in that era, they translate current ideas and uh, morals into that time period. Yeah. There's a little of that. I mean, because they're, they're, they're forward-thinking people, there's a lot of – amongst the, the society, there's that. But the great thing I really enjoy about the book is that the rest of society is the way I understand they behaved in that era. And I like that. I, I, I You know, the, there's interesting things to learn about that. I don't – you know, we aren't all – always the same in the way that we treat people and you know people of color and and women and things like that you actually make a point at times to show in that era that there were people who didn't necessarily live up to what the society might believe in and i i found that to be a very fascinating and realistic thing i, I like to see where we came from sometimes and this book really does a great job i thought of showing that they weren't, they didn't live like we do back at that point. And there's growth that's going to take place. I, I really love that. Yeah, this this is alternate history. I, I do describe Boston Metaphysical more as alternate history than steampunk. The the, the steampunk, it's more steampunky. Uh, you will have the flavor and the gadgets, but it's not what drives the story. It's it's the character. It's an extremely hierarchical society that they live in. It's extremely rigid, and uh, all of them push the envelope of it. But when they push the envelope, the envelope pushes back, and and sometimes they pay a price mm-hmm. uh, for pushing against societal norms. And you'll see that even more so in, in the sequels. You'll see a little bit more and more of that, uh, what they have to deal with, um, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're really outliers within their own society. And uh, particularly the great houses, which are the, the aristocracy, 
um, because this alternate history that I've developed, the United States is no longer called the United States, it's called the Great States of America. And they're essentially a parliamentary oligarchy. Hmm. And the only people who have the right to vote are the families in the great houses. Hmm. Um, nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's gone into a little, uh, actually much more so in the prequel novel uh, that I wrote called A Storm of Secrets. Mm-hmm. And I have, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a, a trilogy, which is also a prequel, uh, which covers what I call the house wars, which is the equivalent of the American civil war, uh, but with set within the Boston metaphysical universe. Hmm. And, and that's been, a, that's been a lot of fun. So obviously I'm an American history buff, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. which is good. That's a good thing. Cause you know, I, I like to see other time periods and see how people, you know, uh, functioned in those times. And I think that this book does a, a, a tremendous job of, you know, the, the, the character of color, particularly. I, I really enjoy <laughs> the, the way he interacts with people and he understands that not everybody's going to treat him the way that he would like to be treated. And he, sometimes I think that he actually finds humor in that. And it's just an interesting how these people, and of course, the, uh, you know, uh, Caitlin and how she's treated. And, yeah. you know, when, when right in the beginning, when she's uh, earning her place, shall we say, yes. in the society, she has to overcome a lot of stuff. But see, I think that's a good thing to see. I think that, that people today, we kind of take for granted that everything's going to be, everything's going to be fair and everything's going to be handled well. And, in that time period, it wasn't that way. And yet there were people that excelled against that. And it, I think it's really encouraging to see like Caitlin, how she, you know, develops as a character and, and uh, grows within the society. I, I, I really love that about the book. I, that was one of the things that I just, I couldn't wait to see what she was going to do next and how she was going to uh, respond to people who didn't necessarily respect her. I just think you did a great job with that. I really did. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's It's been a lot of fun. And uh, it, after, you know, when I wrote, there was the, the first sequel, which uh, was The Scourge of the Mechanical Man. And that was a lot of fun because that was, I had always planned that. And that just kind of finished off the Tesla arc. Um. And, uh, and, and also it was, it was a lot of fun to be able to put Granville and Tesla in the same room and, and force them to work together <laughs> <laughs> and the how it just annoyed each other, but yet they complimented each other when they, you know, finally put the egos away, uh, and, and solve the problem. Um, and then, you know, meanwhile, Caitlin has to, to deal with the, uh, uh, after she dealt with the, the shifter, which was the interdimensional being from the first uh, mini uh, first miniseries, that you know, having dealt with that, it, it changed her. And uh, what's really fun in the book of demons is you get to see a little bit more of the scientific method as Alma tracks her progress and makes her uh, use her telekinetic abilities to you know to learn how to control them and exercise them uh 
but you know, keeping data, keeping a journal, uh, so they keep track of, of what's going on with her. And uh, so it, it's a lot of fun to do that. Now, speaking of keeping track, one of the things when there are multiple chapters in a, a, a great story like this one, I like to ask, what's the proper order to read the Boston Metaphysical Society? What's the thing you should read first? Uh, is that the first book? Can we talk about that a little bit? Let people know how this all comes together. Uh, sure. Uh, I always recommend that people start with the original six-issue miniseries, which is now in, in trade paperback. Uh, the artist on that was Emily Hugh. And from that, everything else springs, so to speak. Uh, everything prior to the uh, original six-issue miniseries, I'm doing in prose. So there's uh, a novel and there's an anthology of short stories and novellas. But everything in the timeline that's after the six issue miniseries is going to be uh, in graphic novel form. So it's, if you're starting with the graphic novel, um, the first sequel would be The Scourge of the Mechanical Men. Then it would be The Spirit of Rebellion. Um, and after that is Ghosts and Demons. And then the fourth one is what's on Kickstarter right now, which is called The Book of Demons. And it is a standalone, but it is a continuation of Ghosts and Demons. It's sort of what I call my little duology. It kind of finishes it up. Mm -hmm. Which is great. See, I like for people to know that because some people stumble onto the third book and they don't understand. They may not be able to pick up all the things they'd like to understand. And so that's why I always ask people, what's the, the sequence in which to do these kinds of things? So I, I, I'm glad that. Yeah, can... I, I actually have a page devoted to that on my website. That oh, has like speaking... just, just story chronology. So if anyone's ever confused, they can go to story chronology. And, and it gives a complete chronology of uh, not only the graphic novels, but the prose as well. And, and why don't you tell people? In. Why don't you tell people where the the website is? What's the web address? Uh, very simple: bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com. Okay, very good. And you go there, and can you buy stuff through there, or is it? Uh, is it uh, yes, what's you there? can. You can buy through my website uh, if you want something signed. You can actually order the graphic novel and the first sequel, "The Scourge of the Mechanical Man," through your local comic book store. Um, it, they're out in diamond right now and, uh, or you can order it directly from source point, source point press, uh, source point press picked up the original six issue mini series a year and a half ago, and then picked up, uh, all the sequels, uh, earlier this year. So they're all going to be hitting, uh, diamond and your local comic book store. So I always encourage people that if, you know, you don't, if you, you hear this later and you miss out on the Kickstarter, you can always go and order directly from your local comic book store or through SourcePoint Press. Yeah, SourcePoint Press has a lot of really interesting books, I have to say. I, do. I, I wasn't surprised when I heard that your uh, uh, franchise, shall we say, is going that way because they do a lot of stuff that I really like. So I'm, I'm glad it's there because I, I think that's a good home for, for your stuff. It is. It is. It's, it's been a great home. Um, uh, I've actually known Travis for, for quite a while. He's the editor in chief. And uh, they really thought outside of the box during the pandemic and have come out even stronger. So uh, I chose well. 
<laughs> mm-hmm. Good for you. That's a good place to go. Now, one of the things I noticed on your uh, on the Kickstarter page, and by the way, it's great that you can go to the to the to the stores. I want to again reemphasize: if you want the books, don't wait. Go to the Kickstarter and get them there because there's a lot of, of good ways to to support, and it it supports Madeline here uh, really well to do that. So we want to make sure you do that. Um, I noticed on the the Kickstarter that you were a nominee for the Geeky Awards in yes. 2014. Do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that? What what did you get nominated for? Uh, how did that come uh, it, to be? Uh, it was for Best Graphic Novel, and I'm not even sure how that came to be. I guess I had been nominated f- by a number of other people. We we had started as a webcomic uh, just to get the work out there, and so people started picking up on it and they submitted it and it went through a series of judges. Uh, I didn't submit it. Um, (laughs) I had no idea until I was like, Oh, guess what? You know, you've been nominated for best graphic novel, which was pretty uh, amazing. So we were, we're very pleased without that. We didn't win. That was okay. Because actually, a very good friend of mine won. So I was, I was very. If, if I wasn't going to win, I wanted him to win. So that worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks to the person who nominated that. That was very nice of you. We got a little extra publicity out of that, and hopefully, sold a couple more books. Never a bad thing. Uh huh. The way to do it. So that's very good stuff. I, I also noticed too. See, I'm always interested in the little add-ons and things like that as well. You have a coloring book. Oh yeah. Talk about the coloring books, because, you know, there's some people who are big into coloring books, and I, I actually like the the look of yours. I think it's actually quite nice. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And, you know, sure, where sure. does that um, fit in the whole thing? It's just Alejandro Lee, who I've been wanting to work with for a while, as you can see, is a marvelous illustrator. And, you know, he was able to get him on board. I, I was thrilled to death. But the reason I did the coloring book is that I really wanted to put something on my convention table that was for all ages. Mm. Because Boston Metaphysical Society is at minimum uh, for ages 10 and above, just because, not because there's violence and bodice ripping and things. There is some violence, uh, but there are some scary parts for little kids. So, you know, it depends on the child and I leave that up to the parents. I just, I, I will show them what I deem either the, the scary or the, you know, possibly violent parts and let them decide uh, whether it's appropriate or not. But yeah, that's really why I want to do the coloring book because it also, well, it introduces the characters and obviously has the three main characters and, and Alma's in there as well. Plus uh, the demon and Duncan, the ghost and, her mother and uh, Andrew O'Sullivan, um, her father, which you only see three pages of him in the first issue before his demise. But he is actually very prominent in uh, the novel A Storm of Secrets uh, and in a, a couple of the um, the short stories that I wrote. Mm-hmm. So, but it was it was just a great way to to have something that was literally it was for all ages to enjoy. Great. That's good. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is the you have these lapel pins. Oh yeah, that I find really cute. I mean, who put those together? I mean, you, you have one of them. I think there's one that's unique to this book, and then there's a whole collection of seven of them. Uh, talk about that and how that came to be. Well, um, I attend uh, steampunk conventions, and if you ever go to a steampunk convention, you will know that 
the people dress up uh, and they like pins and they like hats and they like all sorts of fun stuff. So it was just natural that I would come up with a pin to, uh, to sell at steampunk convention. So I started with originally uh, our first one was an owl pin, which you see the, the sticker on the box on the Kickstarter homepage. Uh, that used to be a pin. We don't have that anymore. So the people who have it have something unique because we will never produce that again. And then it just started becoming a thing that every Kickstarter, we would have a new pin. And so the first few years were to me pretty obvious because I had a Tesla pin and then a dirigible because these are very steampunk themed kind of things. And then I started reaching out uh, every, every year on Facebook, I would have a little contest and say like, Hey, who I'm looking for ideas for our next, you know, Kickstarter pin, uh, whoever one I choose and it gets produced, I'm, I'll mail it one to you. So that's what we did for last year. So, you know, the, what you see as the, um, you know, the antique camera and the teapot and the bowler hat and, and the plague doctor, those all came from fans who had ideas. And I, I would just like, oh, yeah, I like that one. Even though the plague doctor, that was kind of funny because she, the, the woman who, who won the contest, she says, I would think that would be kind of obvious. And I said, yeah, when you put it there, I kind of went like, uh, yeah, duh, that would be, you know, perfect for this year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Alejandro uh, came back on board again to do the design for it. And I have to say that the picture doesn't really do it justice. Uh, it looks better in real life. It, it did. But, but yeah, the, the pins and things like that, it's, it's a very steampunk thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. Because I know some steampunk uh, folks down here in Florida. I, I don't know if you know Matt Knowles or Steph Cannon who do oh, yeah. uh, Heirs of a Cylinder. Yes, um, we're actually working together on some cross promotion right now. Yeah, we, oh, we cool. all know each other. Yeah, very good, very good. Because they have some wonderful stuff too. I, it's, oh, absolutely. You guys ought to do a crossover. I, I think that's something. Uh, <laughs> fun to see that. It'd be lots of fun to have. But uh, as far as I, I've got to ask a question though, because uh, when I look at the, you have a, a great video at the top of the Kickstarter page. But it has a woman of color on there, and I, I, I'm probably missing something. But who is she? Is she somebody we're going to run into, or have we already run into her and I missed it? What happened? Um, that's Alma, and she was introduced in the sequel, the second sequel, The Spirit of Rebellion. Okay. And that's where she and Caitlin met. Uh, it's Right now, it's the only book that's set in Philadelphia and not in Boston. Um. I don't want to ruin it for people, but yeah, uh, she and Samuel end up in, in Philadelphia briefly and uh, they meet then. Uh, Alma is also a scientist, um, though not as uh, educated as, as Granville because she just wasn't able. She She's actually an accountant by profession, but they meet in a boarding house and go through some events together. Like I said, I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And end up by the end t- teaming up and, and Caitlin finds a new direction and starts working in union organizing, which was actually very, that was a thing. And during that time period here in the United States, uh, 
because, uh, you know, labor was being abused and there was a lot of child labor. And so she and Alma teamed up to, to work on that and then often get sidetracked because of Caitlin's abilities. So yeah, she, I made, I made Alma, uh, she's part of the team now. Oh, okay. I remember her now. Yeah, now I remember that. Very good. Oops. While we're talking, your number just went up again. I'd like to yeah. know what happens. Uh, it's I always think, a good thing. I know. I think we're actually going to break uh, the – we're going to make the stretch goal tonight. Oh, cool. Oh, Our next stretch you. goal, yeah. That's very good. I, I always like it when that happens. When I'm talking, I'm looking at the page, and the number goes up. I'm thrilled. I think that's great. Although they can't hear what we're talking about. It's not going to be posted until Sunday morning. But <laughs> I, I want to see that go up. I want to see those things. Which, which, Chris, leads me to the next question. If you are – this is – Book of Demon is what, the fourth – it's a fourth sequel, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, fourth sequel. So uh, I, I'm sure you've got more sequels planned. Uh, do you uh, – Do you? I, I don't want to spoil stuff, but do you have any idea about like how many more stories you might have in mind for these guys? Um, I <laughs> – it's like I'll always think of something. It's not. I always come up with ideas. It's not a problem. Uh, the the end of the book of demons does segue into um, a new storyline, okay. and they're all basically they're all going to be leaving Boston for a little while, mm-hmm. and so we get to travel across the country uh, to a certain place in Colorado where a certain person has set up shop. Uh, specifically Colorado Springs. Um, I'm just going to, for people who know, they know what I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> which is not going to make Kat, Caitlin happy at all. Okay. But uh, because of the circumstances, the way it ends, it's they kind of need to get, get the hell out of Dodge, so to speak. Okay. Um, so, yes, it's. I haven't decided whether it's going to be a, a three or four issue arc yet. I have to. I have a lot of other things I have to do first before I get there. <laughs> okay. Well, it's very good. I, I, it's great that you're busy. I think that's a, that's a good sign for those of us who are fans that there are good things coming and all kinds of other things. Uh, that does make me ask, though, are there – I'm sure this has got to be a, uh, something that's keeping you really busy. Are there other projects that you're working on that we should be aware of? Absolutely. We are in pre-production right now for the first Boston Metaphysical audio drama. Hmm. It is set during the time period of the original six-issue miniseries, so only uh, the three original leads, Caitlin, Samuel, and Granville, are in it. It is a full cast, and um, it'll be eight episodes of about a half hour uh, each. We are in the process. We're doing callbacks this coming weekend for the three leads, and hopefully I will... uh, Probably next week, I will be announcing who the, the, the three voice actors are who will be playing them. Um, we got some terrific talent. It's really outstanding. And then there'll be a casting call for the supporting characters. Uh, a couple of them I had already cast from the people that came in for the, the casting call for the three leads. And I've been very fortunate in that um, my team is the writer, script editor, and sound engineer and composer of another audio drama called Sage and Savant, which was on for six years. It is also a, a, a steampunk theme story. It's, it's tons of fun. It's a time travel steampunk. It's really terrific. Uh, 
And so it's Eddie Louise and her husband, Chip, who I hired. And so, yeah, I, no, I don't know anything about audio drama, but they know a hell of a lot. So <laughs> that's why. Yes, absolutely. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good. Uh, we've, we've already got the theme song. We have like cover art and I'm looking to run a Kickstarter for that in October. Oh, wow. That so, sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be it's so much fun. So yeah, we really didn't know how long this pandemic was was going to last, so we figured, okay, let's just go do this. So I I wrote that and the first novel in the trilogy and finished this up and so yeah, I've been pretty busy over the past year. Wow, sounds like it. But uh Boston Metaphysicals when they can keep you busy sounds like you got the audio and then the books and stuff like that. But anything outside of this or or do you you kind of keep to this for for the moment? Well, um, at this point, it, it, it pretty much takes up all my time. Um, uh, I am thankful that you know, every once in a while I get asked to do uh, a short story uh, for someone's anthology. So I get to play with somebody else's IP. Um, and that's always a nice little breather because it's, it's usually no more than, you know, four to eight pages uh, of script. And uh, it's always fun to play in someone else's sandbox. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and then hand it off and let them deal with the with the production of it all. <laughs> it's like here, hand it to your artist. I'm done. Bye. But it, but yeah, it's 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 just a good way to you know exercise my brain in other ways. Oh, very good, very good. Now you're going to announce the the people. Is that going to be on the website or uh, social media? How are you going to announce those? Uh, pretty much everywhere. I'll announce it obviously through the Kickstarter. Uh, I'll uh, announce it on social media, my Facebook, on Twitter, uh, probably Instagram as well, um, and through my. I have a newsletter if people want to sign up, and it's. I only send the newsletter once a month, so it's it's not annoying. Um, I realize we all get so many emails that it it drives us crazy, but yeah, I make a a point just it's once a month. It gives you, uh, you know, gives you an update on all things Boston metaphysical. And then I add in, uh, I do reviews for fan base press of both comics and novels and other things. So I, I throw in a few reviews and, uh, if I run across any fun or interesting articles, I'll, I'll put that in as well. So it's like a nice, you know, five minute read, maybe 10 if you want to go, you know, read one of the, the reviews or something. But sign up either through my uh, on Facebook or through my website. Uh, as far as well, Facebook, is it under Boston Metaphysical Society? Society yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And Twitter as well? All those. Uh, Twitter, it's. If you just type in Boston Metaphysical, it'll type, it'll come up. But Twitter is uh, M Holly Rosing. That's M H O L L Y R O S I N G, and Instagram is M C Holly and the numeral one. Oh boy, oh boy! Someday this has got to make it onto Sci-Fi or, <laughs> or some other wonderful channel. This is to be perfect for this because I. I I'd love to see it. This this would make a wonderful drama on television or a movie or something like that. I hope hope audio drama gives people ideas. 
That's what I'm hoping. Get those things and have that really happen. Because this is a, a well-told story with great characters. Uh, I, I can't wait for the next thing to, to come along. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. And, you know, Madeline, I, I just hope you keep this up for a long time because <laughs> we, we need good stories like this. And I think that this is one of those that we could enjoy for uh, quite a long time to come. So I would just ask, keep it up and make the good stuff keep coming. Well, thank you very much. That That is my intention. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Though All I right. hope, to, hope to take, you know, once I'm fully vaccinated and the world opens up uh, to uh, um, go take a vacation. My husband and I, we really need a vacation. So that would be nice. Well, I hope you get to enjoy it. That'll be great. It'll be fun for you. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's it for this episode. Be back next time. I'll have another great interview with an excellent comics creator, something I'm sure you won't want to miss. But until then, keep reading your comics.